everybody, and welcome to another episode of EPMI Cast. Today, we'll be talking about scoping and determining levels of effort. So, once an organization determines a software vendor and an implementation partner, the next stage is scoping. So, while scoping, product teams determine a level of effort for e- implementing each business process, timelines, and client involvement. So, today, the EPMI Cast will break down the different level levers of scoping for account reconciliations, close, and planning. So I'll have Nihar start things off. Uh, today's episode focusing on really how to determine what it takes to implement something in the EPM solution suite is a really exciting topic because I think this is really how the sausage gets made. And uh, we're kind of lifting up the curtain here and giving you guys a preview into uh, how we do things here at EPMI and how we determine what it takes to implement something like an enterprise software solution. And so although we're focused on account reconciliations and financial close management and consolidations today, we're also going to be discussing the planning and budgeting side of the house, which is going to be in a future episode and um, just has so much content to it that it really uh, requires devotion of a a single episode. So um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce or have the team introduce themselves, um, starting with Katie, Chen, and then Tulsi. Do you guys want to make a quick introduction for the folks that might have not um, met you yet? Sure. So hi, everybody. I'm Katie McCorkle. I am our director of our financial close portion of the business. Um, I've been with EPMI for about five years. Before that, I worked in industry and accounting for about 16 years. Uh, Chen? Chen I'm the VP of technology here at EPMI. I've been with EPMI since 2012. And uh, throughout my time here, I've worked on quite a few projects, scoped a few of them. So this is going to be an exciting discussion. Hey, everyone. I'm Tulsi. I am a pre-sales consultant here at EPMI. Recently joined over from Oracle. Background's actually in accounting and finance transformation and really looking forward to this discussion. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for making time to do this today. So let's just dive right in. Um, Tulsi, what is scoping and, and when does it happen? Yeah, absolutely. So I think of scoping as something that happens once we identify kind of a key business driver or value proposition for a project or software um, selection that we're taking on. And so it's really about what is it going to take to be able to achieve that value that we have in mind. So looking at things like level of effort, the timeline, how much engagement we're going to need from the project team, whether that's consultants or client side. Yeah. And so as we you know, go through these cycles, you know, working hand to hand with Oracle, typically a customer has an idea that they want to purchase some kind of software. And so how do you understand, you know, or map the software that Oracle needs with what the customer is looking for or the software that Oracle has with what the customer is looking for or needs? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the important part there is not starting with the software, but starting with the actual customer need and requirements, and then mapping that back to the solution set and finding what's going to fit best versus starting with more of a software focus and maybe losing sight of the key business value and drivers. That's a really, really good point, because it's not just about the software, it's definitely about the entire solution. And so, um, you know, if, if I was, you know, we're looking to implement enterprise performance management here at EPMI, um, what sort of questions should I be prepared to answer, um, you know, from an implementation partner like yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we'd start with a conversation about what the overall goals are from finance and accounting. Typically, who's going to be 
who would be who we're engaging with on a performance management product. So understanding are the needs within controlling, are we looking to reduce risk or improve time to close? Or are the needs within planning, maybe we're looking for you know, better insights or a cleaner and timelier planning process. So starting with those overall goals and then narrowing in on you know, what's most important to you to achieve in the near term, what can you dedicate to a project um, and what are your highest priorities? Okay, and that makes sense because some organizations might have priorities more focused on the controllership side, some on the planning and budgeting side. Um, what are some of the um, typical, you know, drivers for a project like this that you've seen for for close and Chen or Katie? If you want to comment on some of the other modules like Rex and planning. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with close and I'll turn it over to Katie and Chen. So from a close perspective, I think looking at the closed task management, right, we're going to want to understand how well defined is the current process? Do you have those existing schedules? How many schedules are we looking at? And what level of automation and intelligent processing are we looking to achieve with that closed task management component? And I think on the consolidation side, it's going to be really heavily driven by things like reporting requirements, the number of data sources, even things like the underlying cleanliness of the data, right? Do you have your chart of accounts defined? Is your intercompany process clean? All of that feeds into a typical scoping conversation. I'll let Katie weigh in on account recs. Sure. So I think on account recs, you know, you really have to look at the accounts you want to reconcile. Are you going to do balance sheet and income statement, just balance sheet? Are you going to do variants, reconciliations as well? Um, it's also, as Tulsi mentioned, the number of data sources. So are you reconciling against the GL? Are you reconciling to subledgers? Are those subledgers and GL all Oracle? Are they different sources? So a lot of the complexity of account recs comes into data sources, knowing your recs, knowing what accounts you're going to do, who's going to do them, timelines, that kind of thing. Um, then you also have transaction matching. So you need to know if you have some account recs that have really high uh, transaction levels that transaction matching come into play. Again, have to know your data sources, have to know how you would match off those transactions. Um, and then currencies always come into play, both with financial close and with account recs. You have to know which currencies you need to have in the system whether on the financial close side, are there different currencies you need to report in? You know, do you have local currencies that you need to send out management reports for? Do you have, you know, foreign currencies that you need to report in, like the, you know, GBP, Euro, that kind of thing? Um, also, on the account rec side, you need to know if you're going to reconcile in local currency, USD, if it's going to be a mixture. So... Chen, I'll let you speak on the if you want to. Actually, I'm going to take that uh, bit of glory away from Chen and uh, maybe focus plenty on that other podcast that I promised. So instead, Chen, what are some of the things that you've seen that are common across the platform that customers need to focus on, whether it's you know the data sources, the data integration, security, working with IT? Um, what are some of the considerations we need to think about when we're scoping out a project? Yeah, certainly. So there's a there's a lot of capability that comes, you know, in this, this big package that's EPM Cloud. Um, so I'd certainly encourage customers who are evaluating or looking at it for the first time to to kind of um, not necessarily take baby steps, but don't bite off more than you can chew. There, there's some very advanced uh, functionality 
that that really you know is is the sexy functionality, right? Machine learning, um, integrated uh, business processes, and the uh, you know ML modeling. Th those types of things are 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 great, but those are are really kind of enhancements on top of core functionality that you should start with, right? So um, when when you're looking at integrations, for example, you have to be realistic and evaluate. Um, hey, what are my source systems going to be for, for the project product that I'm looking at? What are my source systems going to be for clothes? What are they going to be for account recs? Um, how reliable is this data? How clean is this data? Um, how timely can we be in terms of, of getting this data um, you know, uploaded or put into a file or put into some sort of direct connect? Um, there, there's a lot of considerations that come in, in, in mind. And it's also kind of um, Relying on, I guess, the maturity level, the complexity level of your your IT support infrastructure for those pieces, right? So if you've got a really strong team, then yeah, go for it. Go for EPM integration agent. Go for that direct connectivity, and maybe even um, talk, explore like right back functionality to your general ledger. Those are all really nice bells and whistles. But uh, if you're not there, maybe you want to start with a, a file based um, integration strategy, right? Just start small and build from there. That's a good point. Um, I want to talk about something that, that kind of spurs to mind because with a lot of our customers, they'll come in with a preconceived notion that they want to, especially if they're an on-premise customer, that they want to lift and shift what they already have and just move it into the cloud because, you know, they were told that it's going to be, you know, super easy. They're going to save a lot of money. And it's going to have no impact to their business. And sometimes when I hear that, I'm like, why are we doing a project that's no impact to the business? Um, so it, what are some of the pros and cons you see with customers that have lifted and shifted versus taking a, a fresh look at, you know, maybe deploying cloud best practices first or, um, you know, rethinking the way they do their business while they're doing this cloud transformation? And this is open for anybody. Actually, I'll, I'll take it first. Um, so I think, you know, while, while the first thought would be it's quicker, it's faster, it's cheaper to do a lift and shift, um, you are kind of missing out on taking a fresh approach on how you use your software, um, especially if it's, you know, like an HFM to FCC or, you know, Blackline to ARCs or something like that. You're relying on what was done in the past and not necessarily taking a look at new features, functionalities, or looking at ways you can improve your process. Um, you know, a lot of times, we'll go through the process of a lift and shift and we get towards the end and we'll start kind of telling people things they could have done, you know, more interesting things. And I think there's a little bit of regret, you know, that that was not the path that they took, but uh, Chen Tulsi. So I'll, I'll let Chen Tulsi gear up the response in a second. But um, I think that um, one of the things that I've noticed also is that when customers are done with that, that lift and shift, you know, they're kind of like, well, why do we go through that effort? And obviously there's a lot of benefit in upgrading to a cloud platform because of the, the monthly updates and you reduce the reliance on IT and maintenance. But um, I think I do agree that it's a great time to look at adopting new um, feature and functionality to support your business process that in the last 24 months, I would say, you know, most businesses have probably gone through some major transformation in how they do things. And so if you've most likely implemented a solution back in, you know, the early 2000s or even the late 2000s, anything before 2020, I think deserves a, a fresh look. I want to challenge a little bit of the, the notion of, you know, the, the continuity of going from, say, an on-premise Oracle EPM installation to going to EPM cloud and, 
and saying that since it's an option to, to kind of migrate everything over, um, that is the preferred approach, right? Um, one of the things that Oracle's really done is brought in a lot of this best practice cloud functionality to be able to treat it as more or less like a brand new product, right? So um, I feel for all those project stakeholders and, and managers who, who feel like they won't get that buy-in if they go ahead and not just change your application, but the way they do business, the way they, they, they do their process, the way they do, um, you know, their clothes, their plan, their recs, you know, that, that that's a big change, of course. But um, rather than just, you know, updating the technology, it's, it's also a great opportunity to reevaluate what you're doing and see if any of this new stuff will help you. It's yeah. also important. Oh, sorry, Nihar, go ahead. No, no, it's all you. Oh, I was just going to say, it's just important to take, you know, it's not really a one size fits all approach, right? It's, it's important to look practically at each customer, what their environment is, what their appetite for change is. And sometimes it might make more sense to take more of a roadmap approach where we do lift and shift some core functionality and then have later phases where we're able to work in more of those available enhancements from the cloud. So I think there you know, can definitely be trade-offs to the approach to Nihar's earlier point. And there's definitely value recognition often in just the terms of cost savings of moving from on-prem to cloud as far as infrastructure. Yeah. And I think this is also a great segue to kind of diving a little bit deeper into you know, how we go back to scoping the project. And you know, obviously, whether it's lift and shift or net new implementation, um, does have a lot of impact on um, you know budget timeline, uh, customer and consultant you know uh, utilization, and so um, thinking about timeline and level of commitment and involvement, um, how do we go about determining that? Um, especially when it comes to you know with a customer with a day job uh, having to schedule activities in addition to their day job, um, you know is something that you know is, is sometimes a challenge. Katie, you've been working a lot with customers and having to get, you know, their availability, and especially with, with the closed calendar and being a part of, you know, critical business functions. Um, what type of challenges have you seen with that, and how do we help preempt some of that when we're working with our customers? Yeah, so working with financial close and account recs, you know, we mostly work with accountants um, who go through monthly close, year-end close, audit, all of these things. So. Our biggest challenge is to get their time. So we are, you know, very aware that they may be busy during certain times. So whenever we plan out our project plan, we always make sure, you know, heavy deadlines or not during a closed week, something like that. Um, but we do, you know, try to build in enough time to where during these busy times for accounting people, we aren't slamming them with data validations or, you know, sign-offs or anything like that. Um, it's mainly, you know, we, we try to be aware of their time, but we also, you know, make sure they're aware they're paying money for us to be there too. So, you know, we want to, we want to make sure that there is someone available regardless of if it's our, you know, main point person or if there's someone else that they can assign to work with us while they're busy. Yeah. Okay. So you could kind of plan around some of those known schedules of downtime or of um, lack of availability. And then what about actually timing the project itself? You know, when you've got a lot of competing projects, um, a lot of competing priorities, when does it make sense to implement um, an accounting solution? Is it, you know, the beginning of the year, the end of the year, after the close? Um, what are some of the things that you run into when, 
you know, you go live in the middle of the year versus at the end or beginning. Yeah, so definitely beginning of the year and end of the year are not ideal. Um, so beginning of the year, you usually have year in close. Um, somewhere around the first quarter, you have audit. Um, once you get towards the end of the year, depending on which software you're putting in, you could actually run into SOX compliance issues. Um, so with SOX, you actually have, I think it's a three-month window at the end of your fiscal year that you cannot change anything so that when you do your reporting, it's consistent, nothing's changed. Um, so ideal time, you know, middle of your fiscal year, if your calendar, summertime, it's a great time to implement software. Good, good to know. Um, and then, you know, as, as customers think about their own maturity and the readiness, what's a typical starting point for customers, we talked about the on-prem, you know, I've got an HFM app or account reconciliation manager on-prem. I just want to lift and shift to the cloud. But if I'm a new customer or if I want to redesign my business process, um, you know, where are the customers and how they're managing the process today? Uh, or what have you guys seen? Is it, do I have to have everything in, um, you know, in Excel first or do, is it all in pen and paper? I mean, what, what, are they, what, is, what is typical for a customer that's implementing brand new? Yeah, I mean, I think it can vary a lot depending on the customer's level of maturity in their accounting and finance processes. But net new could be, you know, paper binders for reconciliations, or it could be Excel, which is a little bit better. Or it could even be a customer moving from an existing Flowcast or Blackline, wanting to upgrade to the overall suite with Oracle. But I think that, to your point, is the key factor in how we scope it, right? What is the level of stability and definition on the process, a level of maturity, um, are we decentralized, right? Is the process not standard at all across the company? Because that would add some effort as far as getting to that more standardized automated process. Um, but as far as starting points for Rex, I think, you know, starting with something like your balance sheet Rex, then maybe rolling out to include things like subledgers or that flux analysis that Katie mentioned, and then down the road, something like transaction matching. There's definitely ways to phase a customer that might be more manual at first into a logical approach that they can grow into that isn't too much to bite off. Yeah, I, if I think back to, you know, one of the things that I see is it could be improved upon in terms of transitioning is having somebody on the customer side who is going to be managing an application from the very beginning involved in the project so that once you go live, you have that, you know, um, continuity of knowledge with the person that's the full-time employee of the customers where they can, you know, start owning the application along the way. And the earlier they can evolve, frankly, the, the more success I've seen. So um, people, I guess, is my point, is also something to consider and who's going to be a part of that project team from the customer side, um, working hand-in-hand -hand with the consultants so that they can own it long-term. Yeah, I think to your point earlier, you know, with Katie, we were talking about what happens once the product project is in flight, but looking at that and setting those expectations as early as possible before we've even kicked off the project, I think defining that team, what the expected involvement is across project phases is often a key factor in the success. Absolutely. In terms of complexity, what, what type of things, what types of things that you mentioned earlier, Kayla, like currencies and data sources, um, things like that, that it could affect, um, let's talk about account recs first, I guess there's with account recs we typically have, uh, you know, like balance sheet reconciliations um, as a first phase and then maybe some flex analysis. Um, what about, you know, so let's break it up into that versus transaction matching. Um, 
what are the things that drive complexity on both sides? Sure. So definitely in account regs, the complexity, a lot of it comes from your data sources. So it's, you know, you can, you can pretty easily build, you know, straight GL account regs, you know, regardless of if you're directly connecting to an Oracle cloud or loading flat files, that's, that's very easy. The, the real issue comes in and I shouldn't say issue, but the real complexity comes in whenever you have, you know, AR, AP, fixed assets, projects, you know, all these different um, source subsystems, then it's also, if you have, you know, some that are Oracle, some that are SAP, some that are, you know, some homegrown system that you have, you do have to build integrations with each of those, whether it's a report, flat file, whatever the case may be. Um, that's where your real complexity comes in. Um, in addition to that, so, you know, you could also have really complex reconciliations to where you're grouping a lot of accounts or you're, you know, doing interesting things with account recs. So like stat to gap ledgers, um, any kind of other use of, of account recs. Um, you can build complexity into that, but the main the main complexity with account recs is the, the different source systems integrating those. Yeah, okay. And then from a close to consolidations perspective, what's driving complexity there, Tulsi? Yeah, absolutely. So similar to what Katie mentioned, right? We want to start with looking at where's the data coming from? How many sources do we have? Are they Oracle, non-Oracle, cloud on-premise? Obviously, the solutions are going to be, you know, source agnostic and we can set that up, but it does require time and effort to set that up and also determine the level of mapping that's required. So how well-defined is your consolidated chart of accounts? Is it rationalized? Do you have a sense of how uh, well-mapped that is? Um, so starting there and then looking kind of to the end point, what do you need to be able to get out of the system? Are you going to want to report on things like cash flow or, you know, more complex profitability type of analysis? How much history do you need? All of that is going to kind of drive complexity within the consolidation process, as well as, you know, more common requirements around things like complex ownership, um, how clean your intercompany matching processes and eliminations as well. Okay. Yeah. And then from a technology perspective, Chen, I know that in the on-prem days, you know, things like SSL, and um, single sign-on or secure socket layer or you know, um, access to systems. Those are some of the challenges we had. What have you seen with the cloud? The, there's um, significantly reduced burden in terms of setting up the infrastructure for the cloud, right? Like you kind of just, when you sign on the dotted line, you get your keys to, to your, your environment and you're able to, to go in and kind of create an application and get started. But of course you need to be able to connect to source systems. You need to be able to maybe interface with um, your existing kind of login tool. Like if you log in with, with Microsoft today, you, you want to continue to be able to log in with Microsoft. So there is some setup involved with um, getting that single sign-on configured. And then uh, that often just takes um, having a dialogue with, with IT to just get that set up. And, you know, that, that could be something that could be knocked out um, in a span of a couple of hours. Or, you know, if there's some complexity there or there's some, some weirdness, then, then it may take longer. Um, but th that goes with everything uh, technical, really. Like, so if there's... Uh, an, an easy approach, like I mentioned, with uh, source systems and the files, like start with flat files, that makes it really nice and easy. Um, then move on, graduate to cloud-to-cloud uh, -cloud integrations or REST API technologies or things like that that, that can make it um, 
fly, right? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I know that that we kind of covered everything at a high level, and we'll have an opportunity to go a little bit deeper on on the modules. But I wanted to dive into something that you know is is uh, I think has a lot of real world implication. And um, for those of us that have been involved in, in any kind of project before, especially IT projects, is something called scope creep. And um, you know, scope creep, you know, essentially is when you have things that are unexpected that come up within a project that are either not planned for or unrealized by the project management, um, or could be things that the client requests that were never in scope, and you know, uh, the client asks you to. to to, to install a refrigerator and you're, you're putting in a toilet. Um, so there's, there's things that um, are clearly out of scope and things that are debatable. Um, what are some of the things that we can do to, or the, the project team in general can do to, to prevent scope creep and to stay on track? All right, I think, you know, definitely making sure the project team has key empowered decision makers involved early so that at the point that we're starting with the first phase of the projects, which is requirements, making sure those are properly defined and documented, they align with the overall project charter and goals, and making sure we get a formal sign off on that. Yeah. There's often a question of, you know, what's what's uh, new scope and what is, you know, um, not. And I think having, you know, a clearly defined roles and responsibilities across all the parties involved, um, all of their um, uh, all the, the status reporting and project burn tracking so that there's, you know, always constant communication between all the stakeholders of, of who, who's doing what and when and what the latest and greatest is in terms of project and budget used um, is incredibly important for that. And then also having clear sign-off and um, requirements gathering so that, you know, there's, there's a global view up front of what's supposed to happen and then it's deprioritized so that you know you you thought of things that that are potentially you know um, uh, could have been scope creep, but have already addressed them as as future phase items or as not required. Uh, there's a few different tools that we have in, in doing that. You know, from our requirements matrices um, that you know identify the high and low priorities to formal sign off documents and project plans and status reports. Um, so all of these. These are things that we typically leverage, but uh, it's really about making sure that they're they're being adhered to, and this is the challenge. So, um, is there anything that um, is different specifically about the cloud in terms of scope creep that you know you um, you didn't see in the on-prem days, Katie Chen? Not really sure there is from a financial close or account rec side. Um, the one thing I will say, though, you know, with scope creep is if you are going from an on-prem to a cloud, it's it's really important to know your system or know it as best as possible. A lot of times where we run into problems, you know, is especially, you know, like HFM to FCC, uh, clients maybe don't know their HFM as well. So once we start to dig into it, we start loading data into FCC, we find rules in the background where we find top side of things like that. And that generally will start to impact the timeline and the scope because there are things that um, were uncovered while we were actually going through the project. Um, that, yeah, that's just my two cents on that. Yeah, so it's like, 
finding termites under the house when you start replacing the floors, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only thing I can kind of think of is, is just kind of the the kind of the newfangled things that are that are just things that a client reads about you know like when we show them this functionality it's like oh well what about this like can't you just easily turn this on can't you just check a box to enable it and it's always one where you kind of have to like um uh, you know you know walk with the customer and, and kind of explain to them you know the implications of what that are like well it may be you know two seconds to check a box like what are the implications of checking that box how much more um, testing do we need to do to enable this functionality? How much more, um, you know, development goes into supporting whatever this piece is? So um, the, the danger of, of, I guess, the cloud making it easy is, is you, you can sometimes think you can bite off more than you can chew. So um, definitely want to be realistic and kind of like keep your eye on the ball in terms of understanding, hey, what was the objective of the project? What was in the statement of work? What was in our requirements document? And, you know, prioritize those items and deprioritize or, you know, make as nice to have the other things that along the way that you say that, oh, those, that would be cool if we could get that in. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, it is starting with that, and just to kind of play the devil's advocate role in the whole lift and shift idea, starting with a lift and shift could be a good way of being comfortable with what you've already got today on premise, because of course the cloud can support that. And then you can gradually add in new features and functionality through future phases or enhancements as you mature with the user interface, the comfort level with the tool as it was. Because a lot of times success for these projects is just getting what we had today in the cloud and um, you know, getting to take advantage of some of those features is something that can be, can be put, up, put off as a, as a future phase, which, um, which would limit the risk of scope creep and, um, and, uh, and increase the chance of a successful outcome. Well, um, I think this is a good start. I, what I really like to do is go into some more detail on, on all three topics and, and also maybe we'll throw in the data management and the reporting as well as future episodes. But um, is there anything that um, anybody has as a, in terms of like lessons learned? I know that um, one of the things that I, I always... Uh, feel as if every project has an emotional event and it's this time when um, the customer or the the client realizes that okay now this thing is is, is towards the end of the cycle um, someone's going to have to own it and um, either I'm going to have to learn it or it's it's not going to work right because it's, these consultants are going to leave um, what is the transition like once you know a customer goes live um, with with your customers Chen I mean is it Typically, well, hey, you know, she'll shake hands and, and walk away. It's nice, it's nice to meet you. Um, or is there some option for the customer long-term to be able to go beyond just that initial project to maintain uh, the system in case they don't feel quite 100% or maybe there's a staffing issue um, and, uh, and they can't get somebody to, to onboard the system right away? Yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, we, we try to provide, you know, what comfort we can um, to the customer while we're, we're fully engaged with, with them on projects, you know, so as long as they have uh, good participation from, from, you know, key uh, individuals on their teams, you know, we'll, we'll give them good knowledge transfer uh, to, to kind of kind of elegantly hand off, you know, what was built, especially if there's anything customized or configured, but um, what happens with, with some of these projects is that, you know, it, it's not as, as clearly defined. Like they don't necessarily always know who is going to administer the system after we leave. We don't always necessarily know, um, you know, like 
you know, like, you know, who's that, who's the go-to person for uh, managing clothes or managing um, recs, right? So, or, you know, spur of the moment, things can happen where people can leave and, and go to different jobs. So then I've seen that happen many times. So um, one of the things that, that we offer is really like a, a managed services offering, right? So where we can kind of um, take your uh, EPM administrative needs, you know, whether those are going to be uh, support issues or, or bugs or um, issues where, where customers need a little bit more training, you know, we can provide that uh, as a service. Awesome. So from end to end, from really determining what the scope of the project is, identifying those initial pain points and problems to, you know, gathering those requirements in detail, designing, developing a solution, testing it, training the customer, and then supporting them post-go-live, end to end. That's really what I think customers need to look for in a partner. And um, I'm pleased to say that, you know, we have many customers that have been successful on that journey with us and uh, we look forward to many more. So Alex, thank you for setting this up. I hope this was helpful for folks out there that are looking to implement a new solution and we'll see you next time.